welcome to this, the 11th in a rambling series, Talking Terminal. Today, a few extra inserts for you to enjoy. I thought I'd give you a quick introduction to how I am, just for the sake of it. I wanted to outline a news item to do with COVID parties in the United States, which may or may not be true, interestingly. I wanted to introduce a segment on in-laws, and I want you to suffer further with a few more of my idle music compositions. So that's how it's going to be. I hope you enjoy it. I thought I'd start by outlining a bit about how I am with the ongoing palliative treatment. Nothing morbid or ghastly about this, but I have the three-weekly cycle of infusions immediately followed by two weeks of chemotherapy tablets twice a day. It's the infusions that tend to cause the problems, simply because I have some hours of drugs being dripped into me that damage the veins. Gave me a lot of grief about six and a half weeks ago with some unpleasant leakage from a cannula in my hand. The subsequent infusion gave me no such trouble. And the one I had done on the Monday preceding the recording of this podcast was really genuinely fine. Went through a much deeper vein in my arm. And although there's quite a lot of bruising, nothing dramatic. The strange thing about the infusions is it creates a dangerous position where you can't drink, eat or touch anything cold without dangers to your throat constricting. And if you touch things, it can permanently damage the the nerve endings in your fingers. Uh, As a result, if you want to grab a pint of milk out the fridge, you have to wear oven gloves. Going near the freezer is a no-no and pouring chilled white wine down your throat, a really bad idea. You can pour warm wine down your throat with no problems whatsoever. So I've been doing that instead. Otherwise, other than some mild fatigue and some peripheral neuropathy, a lot of tingling in my fingers, which is also created by the chemotherapy tablets, other than that, things on this occasion have been going rather well. The only disconcerting moment was having the infusion much later in the day than I normally do at the hospital. Normally it's a morning or early afternoon event because of some delays in the arrival of the prescription infusion drugs, which have to come up ice cold from the pharmacy and protected from light for some reason, I found myself having the infusion at about half past four. It's preceded by a wash through with various saline, I think, solutions, but is accompanied by some steroids, which are added intravenously. Now, the one thing about the steroids is I'm sure they make the infusion easier. The other thing is they keep you awake at night. So certainly on the Monday night, I was awake from 2am for the rest of the day. I have steroids for a couple of days afterwards, take them morning and at lunchtime, never at night. But because of the late arrival of the infusion, I found myself awake nearly all Tuesday as well. I found a good sleeping tablet, sorted things out for Wednesday, although I was a little bit higher than I normally am. And and anybody who knows me knows I operate at speed at the best of times. So God help friends and family who are around me. So, to in-laws. 
I have been determined following a fascinating conversation I had with some very close friends and neighbours a few days ago to explore how people's developed impressions have been about meeting in-laws, whether that's meeting son and daughter-in-laws to be, or whether it's father and mother-in-laws to be. And I've I think the American expression is reached out. I have asked a number of people whether they'd be interested in contributing and somebody has said yes. In fact, a few people have said yes. If you're interested, just email me at jeremy at talkingterminal.com, WhatsApp me, do whatever you like. And I'll be very happy to make the arrangements anonymised or otherwise. But the first guinea pig in all this is my close friend, Richard, and he has a great tale to tell. I'll say no more, but I'll play you the recording that we just done on his experience of meeting his in-laws for the first time. Do enjoy it. Richard, thank you so much for agreeing to be the guinea pig on the in-laws segue that I am determined to progress with on Talking Terminal. I gather that you've got a good in-law tale to tell, and I am literally all ears. Thank you. Well, I I um, had previously come out of a relationship with not the finest set of in-laws in the world. I met my future wife, Melanie, through the BBC. She lived in Reading, and the BBC had uh, still... BBC Radio Berkshire, and they had Caversham, so I could engineer a reason to be in the Reading area. I've been invited for dinner, so I'd gone to Reading for work. I segued off to go and buy some flowers for my, what I didn't know then, but now know to be my future mother-in-law, bottle of red wine for dinner, and I took the chance that I might be uh, popular enough, I might have longevity enough, if I smiled, to be there long enough to take some cigars for after dinner. Porton cigars, that kind of thing. It was a fairly formal family setting. A single daughter, loved her, you know, she's the apple of their eye and all the rest of it. I didn't realize quite what I was walking into because although I turned up in a nice new suit and all the rest of it, I was walking into a very posh home. And it was proper. I'd already been advised, don't ask for dessert, ask what's for pudding and uh, so I walked across this big noisy gravel drive making as little noise as I possibly could I looked at myself before I knocked on the door and thought I've just polished my shoes on the back of my trousers which I didn't realize at the time but was actually observed by everybody and I knocked on the door the door opened suspiciously quickly and my future wife and future mother-in-law were there all teeth and smiles so just as I was handing over the flowers, these are for you and all the rest of it, there was the sound of a door opening and a slight hinge-type noise uh, at the end of a hall. Door opened, and then at a perpendicular angle, all I see are two black, shiny gun barrels. <laughs> and they start to appear like you see a shark appearing, a fin appearing through the water. They started to appear and get longer and longer, unfeasibly longer, while joined by a low menacing whistling noise. And it was my father-in-law just, just nonchalantly, as the rest of the gun appeared and he did, he was just nonchalantly cleaning the gun and just whistling. Just, just sort of as if he hadn't noticed that the door had gone. Oh, he didn't yes. know that there was anyone turning up. And then he just looks at me, looks me up and down, 
pulls the last of the, the, the barrel through with the cleaning tool, puts the gun, clicks it dramatically, and then puts it to one side. And then comes over, and he's all smiles and lovely. But I thought, laugh or die. I said, it was just one of the things that the ice was broken, and now nearly 30 years later, we're all still together. And he is a so man was, who understands symbolism? Oh, yes, just a bit. And uh, he he just was... It was just a nice way that apparently, he, you know, what you don't know is that he'd been sitting at the kitchen table with this gun broken on the table, you know, just waiting for the door to go, just so he could pick it all up. And he was more nervous than I was, it turned out. So I was only pleased that although he was nervous, the gun wasn't loaded. It was just a nice moment. And right. it was, it, 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 we've all been together for so long afterwards, but everyone still refers to that moment as having been sort of the seminal icebreaker. The shotgun so moment. It's a whole new definition of it. Richard, thank you so much for being the first person to describe meeting the in-laws. You've done something quite remarkable, which is you've talked about your in-laws moving up a generation. And most people think of in-laws like that. For people listening to this podcast, don't forget there's also the opportunity to describe your first experience of meeting a son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Be interesting to hear what your father-in-law thinks of the story from his end. Richard, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Astounding in many ways and still going after 30 years. Excellent. I thought I'd just briefly touch on a a story that quite astounded me in both the New York Times, The Guardian and other media outlets to do with a 30-year-old who sadly died after attending a so-called COVID party in Texas. Apparently, there have been, allegedly, virus parties around the Texas area because a number of people believe the whole of the COVID issue is a hoax and having a party was a way of trying to prove that with somebody who definitely did have COVID. It's a gathering held by somebody diagnosed with the virus to see if the virus is real. And chief medical officer at a hospital in Houston, I think, had filmed comments at the weekend saying she'd been spurred to reveal the case after seeing a concerning rise in infections. 22% of tests were revealing a case of COVID-19 up from just 5% a few weeks ago, which is becoming a common theme in the United States. And there seems to have been a broader age range being affected, according to The Guardian, with several 20 to 30-year-olds critically ill at the Methodist Hospital, is what Dr Appleby said. Interestingly, the New York Times, closely aligned with The Guardian, from which I've taken most of that, but the New York Times did say they couldn't get any third-party verification for this story. But the fact that it even appears as a story is deeply disturbing if people do believe that the whole of the virus process is a hoax. It really does show something I fear about the way in which particularly social media can operate and maybe allow people to move into a slightly conspiratorial and paradoxically complacent position about the risks, not that they take alone, but the risks they give to others, including, in this case, a 30-year-old who definitely did die of the disease. A dreadful story and one to think a lot more about. So, on a lighter note, I wanted to say I've had some further musical explorations and wanted to play you three. I apologise because you're going to suffer thrice. The first is 
a somewhat ghastly attempt I've had at some Indian-like music, and I've tried to insert some relevant rhythm to it. I recognise this is not very good, but I thought I'd play you 30 seconds so you can suffer. The second is a rather more lamentful item, more soulful, perhaps doleful, where I've been exploring the relationship of some higher and lower traditional stringed instruments. And I thought I'd end on a truly dreadful attempt at some rather more mid-50s to early 60s music, with a little touch of the early 70s added to it. Real problems with the rhythm, but I thought you could at least hear a little of it and let me know what you think. Jeremy at TalkingTerminal.com is the best way of communicating back. If you are using the podcast as a way of trying to get to sleep, this will certainly wake you up, for which I apologise. seem to be doing more and more often on uh, books I'm meeting. I wanted to touch not on a modern book, but on a more contemporary 20th century book written. I, I love political diaries and political biographies and occasionally political autobiographies. So I've really enjoyed Harold Wilson's diaries over the years, Tony Benn's Crossman diaries, uh, for example, and some lovely exchange of letters between 
Churchill and his wife. There's some glorious collections of those. The one I've been rereading, which has been an absolute joy, and it was a joy when I first read it, it's a dipping in and out of book, is The Fringes of Power, Downing Street Diaries, 1939-1955, by, by John Colville. And Colville was, of course, uh, educated at Harrow and Trinity, Cambridge, um, first class honours in history, diplomatic service, RAF, covered the D-Day landings in 44, private secretary to the Queen when she was Princess Elizabeth, uh, of course married one of the ladies-in-waiting, but was for many, many years a close friend and associate of Churchill, trustee and executor of his estate, and served uh, for Churchill uh, throughout the period of the war as private secretary. Absolutely superb book, a really marvellous cut on uh, what went on uh, and the lives they led. In many ways, very different from the experiences of 21st century ministers and prime ministers, but in many other ways, lots of fascinating similarities and well worth reading if you get a chance. A glorious book with some fascinating, in-depth uh, descriptions of some of the most difficult times of the 20th century. Well, on that note, I hope you've enjoyed this, the 11th Talking Terminal. There'll be a 12th. Any comments you've got, just email me, jeremy at talkingterminal.com. Any thoughts for further podcasts, let me know. But meantime, thanks so much for listening and not falling asleep. <laughs>